have a Bible, and I hope you do, I'm going to invite you to go to two places. I want you to take your hand and go to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, and if you would also, to Galatians chapter 5. So Matthew chapter 5 and Galatians chapter 5. I want to look at some key passages of Scripture. And if you noticed in my prayer time, this sermon is going to be very different this one and next week. It is probably the first time I think I have done this here. Probably won't be the last time. I will not try to make it a habit, though, because I really believe that the greatest way to present God's Word is expositionally and exegetically, which are just fancy words for we take it and we go through it verse by verse, line by line, and we try and understand what God, through His Holy Spirit, has written uh, through men and to us in 2016 here in St. John's, Newfoundland. But I also encounter at times things that I think need to be addressed. And so the title of my sermon for this week and next week is God and Social Media. Now, I want to start by reading a passage you haven't turned to, but it is found in Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians chapter 5, that Ephesian church that we're looking at in 1 Timothy, in verse 11, Paul says this to the Ephesians. So think of Paul selling, talking to you and I. So think of it, church as us in 2016, hearing these words. So as you go into your week tomorrow, as you start your next week in life, take no part, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret, but when anything is exposed by the light, the light of God's Word, it becomes visible, for anything that becomes visible to the Word of God is light, and you see it for what it is. So this is my goal for the next two weeks to bring some stuff out into the light, and for us to be honest with ourselves. Now, I don't know about you, I don't know if our youngest generation has, but at 44, this was one of the expressions my father and mother taught me when I was facing the dynamics of life, either in school or with my friends in the neighborhood or people I encountered, and I would come home and I would say that somebody hurt me or somebody called me names or someone made fun of me, and you probably know it. Just see if you've heard this. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. You know what I learned as I grew up? That is a complete lie. I have been in physical altercations. I have had people do things to me physically where I've been bruised or, or cut, and you know what? That heals. But I have been called names I have been made fun of, and tragically, I have called people names, and I have made fun of people, only to find out that those scars stayed with someone for decades, decades. One person put it like this, so I'm going to tip my hand. We all know one. The Facebook friend who can't go more than a few minutes without telling the world exactly what's happening in their life. Whether they're detailing the minutia of their day, showing off about how they're down with it, they are, they are by, how down with it they are by going on about some random band or spamming the world with the mundane pictures of their latest night out. They're the people with the least to say who spend the most time saying it. Do you relate to that statement? Do you know someone like that? <laughs> Are you someone like that? This is a, a sermon that actually I have taken and redone. I preached this sermon, these two sermons, back in 2010 at my last ministry. And at that time, I was focusing on all the different social medias that were around at that time, and it amazed me at what happened has since. Because back in 2010, here are word for word something I said to a church. I said, Facebook has exploded well past two continents, boasting of some 540 million users around the world. Here we are now in February of 2016, six years later, and according to statistics, 1.55 billion Facebook accounts are active around the world. It went from 540 million to 1.55 billion, which means Facebook, if it were a country, would be the biggest country in the world. 
bigger than China, bigger than India. Now, factor into Facebook, email, and text, and messaging, and Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Snapchat, Viper, LinkedIn, Twitter, movies, TV, online video, downstreaming, on demand. How much time, how much money, how much brain space is spent on social media? Social media. It was interesting that my study showed that in Canada, in 2016, this w- the, the study I looked at was for December of 2015, that we have almost 20 million Facebook users. Our population is under 35 million. 20 million. And we are the most frequent users of Facebook in the world of all countries. Canada is. We watch as a country, on average, going out to movies six times a year, not including TV, Blu-ray, Netflix, or downloading or streaming, as an average. And according to the 2013 census, an average Canadian watches 30 hours of television per week. 30 hours. That's the average. That's the average. So think of all the content of what we are watching, downloading, listening to, and looking at. What we do with that. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, Paul says something, and it was interesting how the Holy Spirit works these videos. He says, look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. The b- making the best use of the time. If you have a King James Bible, that verse actually says, redeeming the time. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, because of that, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So I am asking you as a church to join me for these two weeks that we will not be foolish, but we'll understand the times we live in. We live in the technological age. We live in the age of social media. It used to be that there was a 24-hour news cycle. Now there's about a 12-hour news cycle. Something can happen, and in under 12 hours, it can go global. It can. We are in an age of cell phones and iPods and iPads and tablets and computers and laptops and notebooks and a plethora of other technologies that allow us to be in touch with each other and the world in real time. Real time. Not to mention all of the social networking sites I've said this before, there's MySpace, there's Facebook, and there's Twitter. And I, I know when I did this before, my, f- my former pastor friend and I, we said, we're going to invent a new one called My MyTwitFace. There's Facebook, there's email, there's texting. Don't forget then all the different sites. There's dating sites and singles sites. There are married sites, sites for hunters and for gamers, sites for car junkies and sports junkies, and for everyone that allows you to post comments or chat with people, and we should be addressing these things, or should we be addressing these things in the church? And the short answer is, absolutely. And I haven't even dealt with pornography, or the ratings of movies, or the types of programming we watch. I'm not even dealing with that. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. We learned about this in our marriage small course, uh, life group. And we could faithfully add, and the fingers on the keyboard type. Out of the overflow of the heart, the fingers on the keyboard type. Jesus went on to say, I tell you that men and women will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken or posted or emailed or texted or tweeted. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. It is amazing to me because a lot of people today, they love the red letter Bible, right? They want, they, people say, I love the words of Jesus. I don't really like the Bible, but I really like, in fact, if you actually study it, Gandhi said that he loved the words of Jesus. These are the words of Jesus. I, I find it fascinating that even people that say they love the red letter Bible don't read all of the red letters in the Bible. Jesus had a lot to say. And what makes this type of sin so doubly sad is that it represents such a wasted opportunity. 
I want you to hear me say now, as much as I'm going to deal with principles about social media, I am not here to say I am anti-social media. You know me. I'm not. Look around you. I'm not anti-technology. That's not what I'm saying. I am saying we are missing an opportunity because the Word of God says that our words and our communication should have such enormous potential to do good, to, to bring healing, to give grace. Those are Bible commands. Now, there are funny things that can happen on Facebook and social media too, right? You've all experienced them. A misspelt word or a misplaced word or something like that or something that's not been put into context. And I'll give you an example. Debbie and I, our niece Shelby, she got married in her final year of nursing. And so she did her final year of nursing while uh, her first year of marriage. And, of course, our church at that time was changing radically, and we had a lot of new families, a lot of new couples, and we were having a lot of new births. In, and so it, it became a bit of a thing when people got married that everyone was going, so how long will it take someone to be pregnant? Okay? And so Shelby posted a Facebook status that said this, Shelby Thorne is attending her first prenatal class this evening. Within minutes, Facebook lit up. There were multiple likes, question marks, and comments. People wanted to know when it happened and how it happened, which I think is very personal. Um, they wanted to know what the date was. And, and all it was was Shelby was saying in her fourth year of nursing, she was doing a rotation in public health and was going with other nurses to her first prenatal class. That's all that what she meant. But people took that statement and made all kinds of conclusions about it. And church, I'm really burdened about all of this. I spoke at a conference a few years ago here in Newfoundland. And I titled my series that week, Being an Ancient Christian in a Modern World. Being an ancient Christian in a modern world. And I believe we need to pull back for this week and next and think we need to think about how we are acting and how we're talking and how we're writing as Christians, or at least as profession Christians. How do we treat each other as Christians? And again, technology in and of itself is not wrong, but church, it can and often is used wrong even by professing Christians. And so for this week and for next I want to lay out what the Bible says in the form of biblical principles. You cannot go to here and say, Thou shalt not use Facebook, or if thou doest uses it, then thou shalt do it like this it. All right? You won't find it in there. All right? It's not there. There are principles for how we should function as a church. That was me being funny, and I didn't even try. <laughs> we're going to learn how to live and how we're to treat each other, but most importantly, we're going to learn how to glorify Christ and live for Jesus. As I said to you, in my last ministry at Grace Baptist Church in Charlottetown, the church there had a um, history of putting their church vision on the walls. They, they literally had somebody make something and they hung their vision on the wall, the vision statement. And the vision statement of, of Grace Baptist was found in Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 37. So if you want to look it up, you can. I don't know if it'll be on the screen or not. But Matthew 22, verse 37 says, Teacher, what is the great commandment of the law? This scribe, this lawyer of the law comes and says, What is the greatest commandment of it? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Now stop. Think about the ramifications of that statement. You and I are to love God with all of our soul, all of our might, and all of our mind. Who of us can truly say we do it? Who of us can truly say we do it? Now, notice what it says. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depends all the law and the prophets. Now you should know, like I do, why we need a Redeemer. We turned that vision statement at Grace Baptist into a, a short phrase, which was love God, love people, and serve others. But do we? See, this lawyer of the law, this scribe who asked this question, said he was an expert in understanding the law, but he still wanted Jesus to explain it to him, to put it into practical ramifications. And I believe that's like many in our churches today. 
Many people in church, are far, we have far too many experts on what the Bible says and few too many experts who actually do what it says. And folks, um, that means in here too, in this room and downstairs. And folks, even the world is starting to realize this. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, what's called the Sermon on the Mount, and Galatians chapter 5. It was interesting when I studied for this. Ryerson University in Ottawa is now getting their freshmen to take a mandatory course on this subject of social media, especially as it relates to posting pictures of themselves on social media. Because they're teaching these freshmen that once you put that picture out there, it's out there and you will never get it back. No matter how much you think you've hit the delete button, it's always out there. McMaster University had did a study of its students, and this will fascinate you. They found that narcissistic people on this extreme, those that are completely in love with themselves and those on the other extreme of extreme low self-esteem used Facebook the most. Up to 30 hours per week. Narcissism, McMaster said, is the personality trait of egotism or vanity or conceit or simple selfishness. When you apply it to a social group, it is sometimes used to denote elitism, which is why you can create your own little groups. And you've got to ask for permission to get into the group and all these types of things. Now, some of that is for wisdom's sake, but some others, it's because, no, 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 this is just for us and nobody else gets to be a part of it. And so I admit that this morning's sermon will be primarily sound like a don't sermon. All right, because I want to give you eight principles, eight ways not to use Facebook or other social networking sites. All right, next week will be a positive do sermon as we look to the table of the Lord and we look how we can redeem technology and redeem social media. So you might be saying, well, listen, Pastor Steve, hmm, I don't have Facebook. So give her, and I'll nod my head, because I'm not involved in this this morning. Really? Okay. Well, we all need to listen to this, because maybe you don't have a Facebook account, but everybody does write a letter, make a phone call, or just about every other way we relate to people, and someone needs to listen to you speak or write. And further, all of you have friends, spouses, children, grandchildren that are affected by this. And furthermore, with the popularity of mass media, don't you think that it's important for us here at Calvary to be careful with our words? I mean, after all, the testimony of Christ is on the line, isn't it? I love having you here, Mary. So eight ways not to use Facebook or other social networking sites. Number one, I'm going to run through these quickly. Don't use status updates or Twitter or blogging to complain or vent. That is not a way to use social media. I have observed in my own life that social media sites all too often become places for fighting, places to air out your opinions. Uh, often it becomes a source of gossip or slander and open judgmentalism. I mean just rampant judgmentalism. I have seen far too many people, it's a means, social media is a means to make offhanded comments about others that some of you may know or may not know and some that you may know are mean or that you know what they mean and most of you don't know what that comment means. And it's direct disobedience to Jesus' teaching and of course Paul's. And I can't even begin to describe how many Facebook pages, tweets, texts, emails, status updates, wall-to-wall conversations I've observed that do nothing but pour out venom on the person receiving. Now, if you've got your Bible in Matthew chapter 5, look at verses 21 to 26. Matthew 5, 21 to 26, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said of those of old, referring to the Old Testament, you shall not murder. He's quoting Exodus chapter 20. It's part of the Ten Commandments. You shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. That's Leviticus. But now Jesus changes it. He says, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be liable to judgment. For whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, 
will be liable to the hell of fire. These are the words of Jesus. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser. While you are going with him or her to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, Jesus says, I say to you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Now, I want you to think about what Jesus is teaching here. Step back and see the big picture of it. Jesus is saying anger, venting, complaint, anger, uh, complaining angrily, venting angrily. Anything with an anger of is hell worthy. It's hell-worthy, and peacemaking and unity is what makes us fit for worship. The focus, though, is making things right with each other, not piling it on and and driving each other apart. And that works, look, I will tell you, forgiveness is a one-way street, reconciliation is a two-way street. But I've seen far too many people post things through the means of social media or Internet, which is meant to harm, hurt, or mock others, and it's wrong. But I've also seen Christians, in the mid, even in, in church, dare I say in this church, fire off backhanded comments through social media to others who post opinions and articles or positions that they just agree with or dislike. It's the ultimate place for passive aggressism. And this is often done in open forums where everyone can see what is being said. And over and over again, I've seen hurting words Wrong impressions and broken relationships result. This may shock you, but I found out that today, one in five divorces start through Facebook or social media. One in five. I've seen hurting words, wrong impressions, broken relationships, mistrust, and it all abounds. And what's worse is that no one speaks in real life to each other anymore. Or worse, by the time you actually do speak to each other, there's so much anger, bitterness, and wrong assumptions that they have become reality. And that's exactly the problem with fighting or even disagreeing over the Internet. You'll likely lose steam to bring it to its conclusion. And if it's done on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or Snapchat or blogging or any other forum, too many are looking in on a conversation that they have little or no knowledge of how it even started. This type of behavior, folks, is unacceptable to the Christian life and in total contradiction to the gospel. Now I want you to flip over to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians is this letter saying, listen, don't be legalistic. Know how much God has done for you. You're free. And yet people misinterpret that. Because in Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 16, Paul says, okay, now in your freedom, I want you to walk as Christians. I want you to act like Christians. So here's what this looks like. Paul says, but I say, walk in the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the flesh of the and of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Now, Take in this list, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like this. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That is not saying if you've screwed up that somehow now you've lost yourself. You're not, this is when you can do this and there is no sense of righteous guilt. There is no sense of I need to change. There is no sense of this is wrong and I need to do something about it. I need to run to God, run to his word, run to his bride, the church. When you can just do this, God says that is evidence you don't know him. But notice how he switches it. Verse 22, but the fruit of the spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness, and self-control against such things, there is no law. 
In other words, you don't need to be told to do these things if you really know Jesus. And those who belong to Christ Jesus, listen to this, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. This is God's word. This is what you and I need to think about. So, number one, don't use social media as a place to vent or complain or display your anger. Number two, number two principle, don't measure your worth or your identity by the number of your Facebook friends or your interactions on the Internet. Don't create a false dichotomy of how important you are. Does your mood depend on how many friends you've added to your Facebook? Do you tend to ask people, how many friends do you have? Well, I have 9,999. Oh, I'm just about to crack 10,000. What do you have? Your Twitter, Twitter followers or how many people read your blog or how many people email you in the run of the day. Let's get one thing straight, okay? The number of friends you have via the Internet is not directly proportionate to your popularity in the real world. They don't go one and the same. In fact, socially, there's plenty of evidence to suggest it may well be the opposite. If you're finding yourself getting upset that you haven't had a friend request in a few days or even a few hours, or your next-door neighbor has more Facebook friends than you, it's probably time you flick off the computer, get away from the keyboard, and do some face-to-face real time with real human beings. Church, if you are finding your worth in any one or way other than Jesus, then you've turned a blind eye to the glories of the gospel. That's reality. If you are finding your worth or your value in anyone or anything other than Jesus, you've missed the gospel. Jesus in John called us friends. We are his sons and daughters. We're the bride of Christ. Every Christian finds their hope and strength in Christ, not in the size of your Facebook account. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, Verse 25, listen to this. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you're going to put on. Is life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the year. They, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more of more value than they? And which of you, now this one, I love Jesus because you've got to admit that he has a bit of a sarcastic sense of humor. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to your span of life? Who of you, if you go home today, sit down and be anxious about how long you're going to live, will make yourself live longer? Think that through. Therefore, and then he says, O ye of little faith, therefore do not be anxious, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Number three principle. Don't value forming Facebook or social media virtual friendships more than real friendships. Your online friendship is not reality. Okay, look, if you're in Matthew chapter 5, look at verses 13 to 16 in Matthew 5. Jesus says, first of all, Christians, you are the salt of the earth. You and I are supposed, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. So you're the, you're the salt of the world. Then he says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. So in the same way as saltiness works, as light works, in the same way, let your light shine before others, what? That they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Notice that. See your good works. People can't see your good works from your Facebook page. They can only read about them and make a decision if it's true or not. I almost showed you a video of just how fraudulent Facebook can be. I'll probably show it to you next week. Which means that social media is a great place to lie. We got five baby dedications coming up. And a few years ago, I did a baby dedication at my last ministry. And the families that were there, and we gathered together, and I challenged them, and I challenged the, old chur- the whole church that we would be much better off if we, would be s- if we would spend less time on Facebook and more time with our faces in the book. Okay? 
Plus, if we all spent even a fraction of the energy we do keeping in contact with our friends in real life as we do on Facebook or Twitter or any of these things, reaching out and making friends in our church, this place, this place would be a much happier and friendlier place. That's just true. Jesus said it was our role to be in the world, interacting with people. Solomon said that to have friends, you've got to show yourself friendly. God is a friend, he said, that sticks closer than a brother. Jesus spent his time with people, touching them and letting them touch him, helping to them, speaking them, praying with them, loving on them. And I often think that the Internet has made us lazy as friends. Not to mention issues of loyalty. I've seen folks, this one makes me laugh, I really do, um, because I have a lot of friends on Facebook, and I, I love it when I do something as a pastor or something, and they defriend me. And, 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 and they, I really think, they, like, I don't know what they expect is going to happen, as if I'm going to have a really bad day because I got defriended. We've, we've made up new English words now for these things. I've seen people fr- delete and add friends on social media sites like they're changing a pair of socks. But church, do you know the difference between a friend and an acquaintance? I say this all the time, right? Acquaintances tell you what you want to hear. Friends tell you what you need to hear. And they stay with you through the thick and thin. I want you to think in terms of Matthew 28, the Great Commission. We're to go into the world and make disciples. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we're to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other. And we're supposed to do that physically. We're supposed to go and do that. So number four principle, don't be someone online you'd never be in person. Is your online persona different than who you are in real life? Now think about that. How you act and how you talk and how you interact on the internet, is that the real you? Is that the real you? Would you say and do in person what you say and do on the internet? We've been lured into this lie that somehow it's safe behind our computer screens and we just hit ignore or turn off the screen. But too often, I've seen people become experts on things from the safety of their computers. Now let me get real personal. Folks, please, in an age of Facebook and Snapchat and Instagram and all these things, texting and things like we've made up new words like sexting and all these things, be careful and consider what you put on social media in the way of pictures of yourself or your family. Be careful. Matthew chapter 5 again, verse 27 and 28, Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. That's, again, one of the Ten Commandments. But he says, now he brings it into the broadness of how this looks in front of a holy God. He says, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So be careful what we're doing. We live in an age, do you realize this, the average age a young person exposed to pornography now through social media is 10. When I preached this in 2010, The average age was 13. Now it's 10, and it's getting younger and younger and younger. Plus, there's the spam that comes through all these things. Take a walk through the mall now and try and protect your your thought life. And then there's TV and movies. I put a couple of things on my Facebook page trying to redeem technology about movies, even like Deadpool which I know is a Marvel character. And again, I'm not trying to be legalistic here, but think about it. This is an action figure whose really most endearing uh, uh, attribute is he can cut off one-liners while he destroys you physically. Think about that. All the things that are happening. Do you realize that in Canada, 40% of all boys in grades 4 through 11 watch porn at least once a week? 68% of professing Christian men have admitted to looking at pornography. 50% of pastors. The fastest growing number of pornography in a, in a demograph is among women in 2016. Why? 
Why would we post images of ourselves in provocative poses or semi-naked poses? This leads only to lust and greed and jealousy. So be careful with your online persona. How about this one? You speak to your best friend more often on Facebook or social media than in real life. You've got a problem. Previously, you'd have picked up the phone, or if you wanted to tell your friend something, you might drop them a text, but then you'd make arrangements to meet for a chat. Now you've found that you're now talking more and more on Facebook than in real life. Do your friendship a favor. Close the chat box and actually go have a coffee together. I know, listen, and again, I'm not anti. You talk to John Hancock or John Din or Steve or Jeff. These guys text me almost daily, but if I get before, if I get any longer than two or three texts, I end up doing my, phoning them. Going, right, boy, I'm not doing this anymore. Talk to me. One, because I can't be bothered for the time it wastes because my fingers are doing this and I'm misspelling words and weird words are getting spell corrected and being sent to people that I didn't say. But often we do this because we hide behind our computers. We don't want to have a face, uh, face conversation with the person. We don't, um, sometimes it's because we're lazy and you know what, it's easy to do that and we don't want to dress up or get a shower. But what that actually means is, you know what, I don't want to put any real effort into being your friend. That's what it really means. Paul said again in Galatians chapter 5, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Paul is saying, be real. Act like who you belong to. Some of all of our spirits, some people are all spiritual on the internet. Yet if you know them, their life denies it. Some people are very spiritual in person, but then if you ever discover their internet persona, you go, I, I didn't know that about them. Paul is saying, be real. Number five, don't hurt and exclude others through applications such as top friends or speaking inappropriately. Don't play favorites on your social media. That goes against James. That goes against the Sermon on the Mount. Paul said again, right? In Ephesians chapter 4, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Folks, listen, I enjoy Facebook. I hope you hear me. I am not anti-technology. I am not anti-social media. I enjoy it. I've loved watching my wife and even our kids uh, Facebook, and, and I've, I've, I've really enjoyed it more than I thought I would. And I've been pleasantly surprised at how Deb especially has been able to connect or reconnect with people from her past and our past. But having said that, I have to point out that there have been many times when that cringe factor has kicked in in my life when I see what some people post. Even more important to me as a father, when I've gone in and I've found things that my kids have posted, or have been exposed to. And it breaks my heart. Biblical teaching always takes aim at corrupt, corrupt and corrupting communication, at gossip or lying. That means bearing false witness, slander. And I'm not talking about just the legal meaning. The Greek word for slander essentially means this, to say bad things about someone. Proverbs 12, 18 says, Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. I have read a lot of reckless words on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or Snapchat. 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 Not to mention those emails or texts where you simply are left to shake your head. And I'm talking about from Christians. A spouse will post something that may seem innocent on one level, but in actuality can hel- can't help but embarrass their wife or husband. A church member will gossip about a situation using inflammatory language that simultaneously indicates that they do not have a firm grasp on the actual fact, and perhaps most common of all, personally insulting ta- attacks on political leaders or other pastors, or other ministries, which, by the way, defies Paul's teaching in Titus chapter 3, verses 1 to 4, and 1 Timothy 5. See, folks, listen, isn't it bad enough when we gossip, or we slander, or we lie, and we're in a room, or we're in a hallway, or at a restaurant table with one or two people that are around to hear it? 
But what about a medium like social media or the Internet in general, where these speech sins of speech can go global in seconds? And make no mistake about it, it is sins of speech, even the speech that takes the form of a Facebook update, a tweet, or a blog post. And I've also witnessed this, there's way too much familiarity on these social media sites that maybe should be acceptable for Christians. Men making fun of other men's wives or simply folks catcalling or insulting each other, making fun of each other online in the open for everybody to see, but they have no knowledge of the content. But few know the setting or even the type of jesting if it's acceptable. And that's why Paul says in Ephesians 5, Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Ephesians, or Matthew chapter 5 again, if you're still there, look at verses 43 to 48. Jesus again does this whole formula. You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemies. That was the Old Testament law. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Basically, Jesus is saying, it's easy to love people that are lovable. Do, even not, do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, folks, I am not saying that there's not a time and a place to expose and confront, but let me take modern politics or even whether in Canada or the United States. Do I agree with Justin Trudeau and his policies? No. Should I get on Facebook and mock him? No. Should I pray for him? Yes. Should I respect his position as our prime minister? Yes. Jesus said, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. That doesn't mean I agree with him. You come talk to me personally. If I ever meet him personally, I will tell him that. But I don't need to drag him down on social media or mock him or put photoshopped photos of him and stuff like that. And it's the same thing with American politics. We've got to own this as Christians. Number six, don't allow Facebook and online life in general to make you a more distracted person. That one should be obvious. Can you have a conversation without doing this? Tell me about your day. How are they having for supper? It got so bad for me, and I'm telling you, I, I struggle with this. It got so bad for me and my, my uh, elders at my last ministry when we would go out to dinner. We all had smartphones. We'd be out together to dinner. There'd be five of us at the table, all of us with a phone, and we wouldn't be looking at each other. So we made a deal. We put all of our phones in the middle of the table. The first guy that reached for his phone had to pay for the bill for everybody. You, you don't get distracted when money's on the line, right? But are you a distracted person? Jesus said no one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other or he'll devote, be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money. You can't be a friend in the real now and still maintain an online presence. One wins, one loses. This principle applies to our relationships. You can't be the kind of Christian who cares about people in real life if you only think in terms of your online life. That's why in Galatians chapter 6, Paul says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Number seven, don't allow Facebook to tempt you away from your calling or work or relationships. See the person that you're listed as in a relationship on Facebook? Will they also exist away from the computer? Is that a real relationship? If you haven't seen your husband or your wife or your significant other in recent or spent in recently or spent time with your friends uh, or you've wasted time on these sites while at, while at work. Facebook was recently found, as I said, to be a factor in one in five divorces and the figures are even higher for relationship breakups. Now factor into that email, texting, chat rooms, Twitter feeds and on and on and on it goes. There is, this is nothing compared to the amount of money lost at the workplace or jobs that are lost because of ill-timed status updates about their workplace or their boss or co-workers. Folks, most secular stats tell us that you truly can't keep in touch with more than 150 friends in your lifetime. In fact, they tell us in the world of the church that one man can only truly effectively pastor roughly about 70 people well. 
But I've noticed that if you like this or that, or if you support this uh, and all this type of stuff, and, and let me give you an example of this, how online creates this false dichotomy. You remember the ALS ice challenge? How many of you remember that? Now, moment of, how many of you did it? Right, now, you don't have to put your hand up now. How many of you did it and actually gave money to the ALS people? All of a sudden, it becomes vogue to get on, on, in, on, on Facebook or whatever and do your little video and dump your, and everybody was trying to up one another. I mean, they had tractors and stuff. Do you notice somebody died because some kid dropped the thing and bonked it on a fella's head and he died? But I wonder how many people posted what they did but never, ever donated any money. That's you doing one thing but not being real. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 6, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you'll have your reward. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that you may be, your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. If you go and donate to the food bank, why do you need to put that on as a Facebook status? Why not, if you find out somebody else did, brag on them? It's amazing to me that this is the false dichotomy of church. Nobody knows what we give in church, but we brag if we give two turkeys to the CBC turkey drive. We don't hold anybody accountable to how we actually do church, but we love to brag to the world that we make a difference. That's the opposite of what Jesus says. Read Matthew chapter 6 verses Acts chapter 5. And folks, I'm all for Hebrews chapter 10 on Facebook, encouraging one another and stirring each other on. But finally, number eight, don't let Facebook cause you to think about yourself more than you already do. Don't let social media. Friends, when you've started oversharing your feelings and emotions on the Internet, you've got the gospel all wrong again. You shouldn't be broadcasting how horrible your breakup was or how you might not make it through the day because your day is the worst of all. That's incredibly conceited of you. Of course, there is the other side of the scale. There are those, those couples who feel the need to express their love at every possible mo- opportunity they have. Now, it's kind of cute the first five times. After that, it's just bleh. I don't need to see 50 pictures of you being, laying the big smackdown on your spouse. Too often, folks, people's Facebook page resembles that of a mood ring. The gospel gives us access. We read about it in Hebrews chapter 4. Jesus said in Matthew 7, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. How about this one? Are you guilty of posing in front of your webcam Or have you ever taken a photo of yourself in the mirror just to use it as your profile picture? This is a bad sign of what's called SVB, seriously vain behavior. A condition contracted through the extended use of social media. There are those who love to speak into something or someone's life or comment on a pastor, a church, or a ministry, or a family, or whatever you can think of, but... That again goes against Scripture in Matthew 7. Judge not that you may be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Why do you seek the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And this is something that really amazes me. You hear one thing, one thing about someone, and you become an expert on that person's life. The best advice my father ever gave to me, even when I was going through life with Stephen, don't ever take a Polaroid of a relationship and define the relationship by the Polaroid. You have a 20-year friendship with something, and they do one thing wrong, and then we define 20 years of friendship based on one mistake. That is not who we should be in the church. So a quick summary. The standard for all forms of our communicating as Christians is this. Our speaking and writing can and should edify and strengthen, meet real needs, and bring God's grace and truth into the lives of others. 
And folks, thankfully, I've seen a good measure of that on social media. I have. From simple posts like, I love my family, from one joyful, grateful husband and dad, to inspirational sayings with all ki- from all kinds of sources, to well-written, sh- scripture-shaped uh, blog entries that teach and challenge, from, f- well, from status updates to tell of God's saving, sanctifying work going forward in and through the lives of his people. Folks, listen, I'm not saying that we don't use social media. I'm saying let's use it to be about the gospel. That how Christ saved you, how you were confronted by your sin and yet forgiven, how you have been transformed and changed. Let's use social media to describe the riches of Christ's grace and mercy, the price he paid to die, the power he has to conquer and control life, especially yours. Why not use the Internet to spread the gospel instead of focusing on ourselves? And more than ever, in an era of Facebook and MySpace and Twitter and blogging, May we as the people who have been won over by the word of God and professed allegiance to the good news repent of the sins of corrupt and corrupting communication as we aim to please the Lord and serve others with our words as well as our works. And as we come to the table of the Lord next week, we're going to look at ways that we can redeem technology and trustfully do what Jesus, not just that it was a wristband, what would Jesus do? But let's go a step further. What would Jesus say or what would Jesus write? How are you going to use social media this week for his glory or for yours? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this opportunity to preach difficult passages of Scripture. My God and my Savior, I pray that every man and woman from the youngest to the oldest is here would know in my heart Holy Spirit of the living God, let people know I have preached this as much to myself as to anybody here. For Lord, I am enamored by technology. I am involved heavily in social media. And Lord, I am tempted every day to glorify myself or satisfy a base need rather than redeem my time and give it to you. But Father, I pray that we will see that the gospel redeems even technology And it redeems us in our use of it. Because truly, Lord, mighty is the power of the cross. Father God, go with us, I pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.